So this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me um, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Some of you guys say, what, for the Christmas season, we're turning to the book of 1 Timothy? But we are this morning, Brother Buddy. 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. And uh, I want to begin um, a series of messages that will take us through this month, the rest of this month, entitled, That Time of Year, That Time of Year. Um, right, we've all heard it said, you've heard it sung, right? It's the most, what? Wonderful time of the year. And it is, or it can be, right? For some of us, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And for some of us, like, going, ugh, it's Christmas time, Right? Right. But it's that time of year. But, you know, right, we we need to ask, well, what makes this time of year so special? And, you know, what is this time of year really, really all about? Is it just a time to buy and give presents, to have dinners and holiday parties? And is it is it just a time of year to decorate our houses and our trees? And listen, I love to. I love all the decorations. Thank you, Allison, again, for helping us with the decorations here in the church. The poinsettias are coming in next week. And, um, you know, and, and, and so all of those things are great. But I think we who are followers of Jesus, we all realize that this time of year is special because of so much more than merely presents or decorations or parties, and that's what we want to think about through the rest of this season, and I know we say Jesus is the reason for the season, but you know, we say it with our lips, but we don't always live it out, do we? Right? We say it, we put the bumper stickers on, and yet let me just throw in a little side thing here. I don't know why it is. So many Christians who say Jesus is the reason for the season have no time to go to church in the season and worship him. You know how many churches canceled church? They had no service when Christmas fell on a Sunday. And to me, I was scratching my head. But I thought Jesus was the reason for the season. Anyway, that's just a side thing. Conviction can come and go as you like this morning. But we, again, we might say it's that time of year. But what does that really mean? What time of year is it really for us? And our first message this morning I want us to see that this time of year, it's a time of mystery. It's a time of mystery. And I want you to read, look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, just one verse this morning that speaks to us about, we could say, the mystery of Christmas. For the Apostle Paul writes this, Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness, or the NIV that I have here says, the mystery from which true godliness springs, the mystery of godliness is great. It goes on to say, He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit or in, in spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up to glory. The mystery of godliness is great. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you would, even as Michelle just prayed, that you would illuminate it to our, our hearts and our minds. Give us eyes to see what you would have us to see and ears to hear what you would have us to hear by your spirit today. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That time of year, it's a time of mystery. 
And, you know, the Christmas season is a time that tends to lend itself towards all kinds of mystery. I mean, the traditions we hold, the stories we tell at this time of year all seem to include a bit of the mysterious. And it's that sense of mystery that's often part of the attraction of Christmas, especially for children. I mean, for example, the tradition of Santa coming on Christmas, right, on Christmas Eve and leaving gifts for the children has within it a sense of mystery. After all, no one ever really sees Santa. No, unless you go to the mall, but that's a different Santa, you know. No one really knows how he gets into the house, especially if you don't have a chimney and a fireplace. No one knows how in the world he makes it around the world into everyone's house in one night. And who can explain the mystery of how reindeer fly? It's all part of the mystery. And there are many, many other stories and traditions associated with Christmas uh, that include that kind of mystery, like the legend of, of the animals in the stable being able to speak on Christmas Eve. Or the tradition that many have of the annual coming of the kings to bring gifts to the children. They even place the hey, How many of you have that tradition or come from that tradition of the three kings, right, that comes in January? Well, only a, a few here, right? I mean, that's a big tradition in, in Latin America, right? You put the hay under the bed and, you know, and for the camels and so forth. Instead of putting cookies out for Santa, you put the hay under the bed for the camels, right? Listen, we all love a mystery. More than that, we love to uncover a mystery, to uncover or discover that which was previously unknown or unexplained. Dr. Oliver Wendell Holmes, I was reading, he was very interested in the use of, of ether as an anesthetic. And in order to know how his patients were feeling under its influence, he once had a dose administered to himself. And as he was going under in, in a dreamy state, a profound thought came to him. He believed he had suddenly grasped the key to all the mysteries of the universe. When he regained consciousness, however, he was unable to remember what the insight was. Well, because of the great importance this thought would be to mankind, Holmes arranged to have himself given ether again, but this time he was going to have a stenographer by his, side, by his side to take down whatever great thought he would speak out. So the ether was administered, and sure enough, just before passing out, the insight reappeared. He mumbled the words, the stenographer took them down, and he went to sleep confident in the knowledge that he had succeeded in finding the great mystery to the whole universe. Upon awakening, he turned eagerly to the stenographer and asked her to read what he had uttered, his supposed answer to the mysteries of the universe, and this is what she read. The entire universe is permeated with a strong odor of turpentine. Sometimes we just don't get it, do we? But I want to tell us this morning that to find the mystery of Christmas, one needs not turn to the legends and traditions of man, but simply to the real biblical Christmas story. For in that story, we find more mystery and wonder than we could ever imagine. 
There's the mysterious appearance of angels to Mary and Joseph to Zechariah and finally to the shepherds. We read of the mysterious appearance of a star that led a mysterious group of wise men to the Christ child. There's the mystery of how it was that all the historical events of the day all worked together to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies regarding the birth of the Messiah. And then there's the mystery of how and why it was that God chose Mary and Joseph out of all of Israel, chose them to be the parents of his one and only son. And there is the mystery of how it was that a child was conceived in a virgin's womb. But I want to tell you this morning that the biggest mystery of the Christmas story is the mystery of Christ himself. But this is the mystery of which the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 3.16, that Christ is the mystery of godliness. For through the incarnation, through the birth of Jesus, God has revealed to us so much that had been previously hidden or misunderstood by mankind. Now let me pause and give us a biblical definition of mystery. For a mystery in the Bible is not something that is merely hidden from our understanding or beyond our intellectual grasp. But rather, a mystery in the Bible is that which, although once hidden and unknown or maybe not understood, has now been revealed by God. It is that which, if we had been left to our own abilities and our own senses, we never would have, have come to know, but which God in his grace has made known to us. God has revealed it to us. And the thought is that through Christ, God has revealed so much to us as his people. Now, how many of us here like a good Sherlock Holmes story? Any of us here? Right? A few of us. Sometimes we're traveling and we put on some Sherlock Holmes to listen to. Um, right? Right? And, and, and the goal of every story, you know, is to uncover or discover what it was that actually took place, how a murder or a theft actually happened, who was guilty to uncover something that was previously hidden. And whereas everyone else, including Mr. Watson, Sherlock Holmes' sidekick, can't figure it out, somehow Sherlock Holmes is able to weed through the clues using his incredible mental capacities. And when he is done, when he has figured out, what does he do? He reveals it to everyone else. Everyone else is like, like, well, I don't get it. I don't understand. You know, and this and that. And then suddenly it gets revealed. In some ways, that's the meaning of a mystery in Scripture, something that was once hidden that we could not understand ourselves, but which God, by his grace, has revealed to us. And it's in this way that the Bible speaks of the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of God, the mystery of Christ, always referring to what God has revealed to us. Colossians chapter 2, I think we have that verse that we can bring up here. Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3, the Apostle Paul writes, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in mind so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Oh, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that the mystery of God, who is God, what's God all about, you know, how does God act, what does God think? The mystery of God is all wrapped up in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Can someone say amen? 
See, the incarnation, the Son of God being born as a baby, is all about God revealing himself to us that we might know him in a way that we could not have known him before. And that's what 1 Timothy 3.16 is all about. In this case, Paul says that Christ is the, is the embodiment of the mystery of godliness. That is why and how it is that we would live our lives devoted to him. For we see, we understand now what God has done through us through Christ himself. You see, that word godliness, that word godliness can be, can be translated as the word devotion or piety. And the thought is this, that we who are followers of Jesus Christ, we are people who live our lives devoted to him, following him, living for him. That's what godliness is all about. Living our lives devoted to God, devoted to Jesus. And for many people, like, that's a mystery. Why in the world would you do that? What's this all about, being a follower of Jesus, living devoted to him? Paul says, listen, listen, the mystery of godliness, it all comes from the things that he writes about here in the rest of the verse. In fact, scholars tell us that we have a piece of an early hymn, one of the earliest hymns of the church. Of course, it was in Greek, and now it's been translated to us. So it's a little, like, bulky when we read it. But here we have this piece of a hymn that was used to teach doctrine about Christ, to speak of who Christ is and his work. And it's made up of three phrases, and, and each phrase has parallel lines and contrast. You'll see what I mean in a moment. But, but it all speaks to us of the mystery of godliness and of Christ, who Christ is, what he has done, and thus why it is that we as his people would live our lives devoted to him. I want you to see this. Here in these verse, in this verse here, there's this three basic mysteries. The first is this, the mystery of Christ's humanity. The mystery of Christ's humanity. That is, Christ was human yet holy. Christ was human yet divine. What an incredible mystery, huh? That Jesus Christ, human yet holy, human yet divine. It, but you see this first line says he appeared in the flesh. It's, it speaks to us of the incarnation of Christ, that although he was the preexisting God, he emptied himself, as Paul says in Philippians 2, he emptied himself of his deity. That is, he emptied himself of his divine authority and privilege, and he took on the form of man. He appeared in the flesh. That is, God was made visible, revealed, manifest in a human body. And the point of this statement and others like it throughout the New Testament is that Jesus did didn't just look like a man, but in actuality became a man. He became flesh and blood like you and me. For the incarnation is all about God becoming one of us, not just looking like us, but actually becoming one of us. You see, Jesus wasn't like Clark Kent. You know Superman? Come on, if you know Superman, wave at me. Okay, that's a, some of you are like lying. You don't know Superman? Dude, we're going to buy you a comic book or something for Christmas. Right? But Jesus wasn't like Clark Kent who just dressed up to look like a normal human being and kept himself as mild-mannered, you know, Clark Kent, you know, reporter for the, what was it? Um, the, the Daily Planet, you know? And he just kind of put on an image, you know, to fool people. But he was really, you know, you rips it off, he's really, the big ass, he's really Superman, you know? I know some of you think I could do that, but I can't, you know? Hermina, what are you laughing about? I know, yeah. 
Listen, that's not Jesus. Jesus didn't come just like putting, like looking like a man. But he was fully man. And thus it could be written later on in the book of Hebrews that he has been tempted in every way just as we are. And thus he is able to sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. You see, we need to remember that when Jesus left his place of glory, when he was born in Bethlehem, he was not half man and half God. He did not come as some superhuman being. Part of the mystery of Christmas is that God's son became 100% human, flesh and blood, one of us. And yet, as, as the hymn goes on to say, he was vindicated by or vindicated in the spirit. That word vindicate, he was justified or he was declared as completely righteous in his spirit and by the spirit. I mean, think of it this morning. A human being who lived his life completely holy without any sin. That's a mystery, isn't it? I mean, who can point to anyone else to say, oh, yeah, they never had any sin in their life. The Hebrews 4.15 goes on to say that although Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, he was without sin. And, of course, this is, this is the difference between Jesus Christ and every other person who has ever lived. Because of the rest of us, it said, it's, it's, it said, no one is righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But of Jesus alone, it could be said that he was without sin and thus he was declared righteous in spirit. And you see, this is what made it possible for Jesus to become the sacrifice for our sin. This is what made it possible for him to become the spotless lamb of God, for him to become our savior. And this is what made it possible for him to ultimately be, as Paul writes, exalted to the highest place and given the name that's above every name. You see, church, one of the great mysteries of Christmas is that although Jesus came as a man, leaving the glories of heaven he came and then lived his life without sin, and thus he is the only one who could become our Savior. It's no wonder we live our lives devoted to him. Mystery number two is the mystery of Christ's ministry. That although his life was witnessed by angels, Christ's life and ministry was not for the sake of angels, but for the sake of the nations, the hymn says. That includes us. You see, many of us know it well, but from the beginning of his life here on earth, it was obvious that Jesus' life was a special one, a divinely appointed life. For after all, how many of us have had the angels announcing our birth? I mean, can you imagine there, like over the hospital, you know, or out in the city where you were born? Angels are singing, you know, and telling people, oh, you got to go see, glory to God in the highest. I mean, maybe, I don't know. They didn't, I don't think they did that for me, you know. But you see, as the pre-existent Son of God, Jesus Christ had already been seen by and worshipped by the angels. And then from his birth to his death to his resurrection to his ascension, we read of heavenly messengers, of angels involved in his life each step of the way. It was as if all of heaven was watching over this one who was born that night in a manger. That all of heaven was concerned with the outcome of this one life, for they knew that history itself, that the whole history of salvation hinged upon the life of this one baby, of this one child, of this one man. 
And thus it could be said that he was seen by angels both before his birth and after his birth. But the truth is this, that although Christ had this incredible connection with the angels of heaven, he did not come for them. His life was not about the angels. He did not come to save angels. He did not come for their benefit, but rather Jesus came for the world. Jesus came, as the hymn says here, he came for the nations. Aren't you glad for that this morning? But the purpose of Jesus coming would never have been fulfilled if he had lived his life simply for the sake of putting on some sort of celestial entertainment. In fact, his purpose would not have been fulfilled if the only ones affected by his life was his band of disciples. And his purpose would not have been fulfilled should the only ones to have believed in him and thus be saved were the Jewish people. Even if all of Israel had, had believed, but, and yet the gospel not, not told to anyone else, the purpose of Jesus' life and coming would have been made null and void. For Jesus did not come for the angels, nor did he come just for a small band of followers, nor did he come for, for Israel, for just one nation, but Jesus came for the nations. That is, he came for all men, Jew and Gentile alike, that everyone should have the opportunity to know the love and the grace and salvation of God. The Bible says Jesus came to give his life as a ransom to pay the price for many, not just a few, but for many. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 3, 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The mystery is through this gospel. The Gentiles and the Jews together get to experience the salvation of God. Right? John 3.16, you know it well. For God so loved the world. The nations, he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You see, church, one of the great mysteries of Christmas is that although the life and ministry of Jesus Christ were of such proportions that the angels of heaven were constantly watching, his life and ministry were not for them, but Jesus came for the nations, that is for all people, for it has been and continues to be God's desire that no one should perish, but everyone should receive the gift of eternal life. It's no wonder we live our lives devoted to him the mystery of godliness we live our lives devoted to him because we know he came for us and for the nations mystery number three is the mystery of christ's glory that christ we could say christ was in the world but not of this world and 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 that although he did his ministry here within this world eventually he was taken back to his original starting place the glories of heaven. You see, it says here that he was believed on in the world. And it appears that this line is meant to highlight the fact that it was within the sphere of this world that Jesus did his work of redemption, that, that, that he wasn't working from some far heavenly throne and kind of like throwing out his work, you know, at us. But he came among us. And he did his work of redemption here within this world. And as Jesus came into our world, he was then preached to the world. And so, too, it was within this world that there have been those who've responded to him and, and believed in him and thus have been saved. But we remember that this world 
was never really Jesus' home. And thus Jesus spoke of returning to the Father. In John 16, 28, he said to his disciples near the end of his life, I came from the Father and entered the world, but now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. And soon after his resurrection, Jesus did ascend back to heaven, back to the glory he had once known. When his work here on earth was, was done and his mission was accomplished, it was as if the Father sent the word and said, okay, son, it's time for you to come home. It's time for you to come home. It's time for you to take your rightful place over the heavens and the earth to come and sit on the throne at my right hand. And thus, right before his disciples' eyes, Jesus was taken up to glory. Come on, church. He was taken up to glory. Why? Because today, Jesus sits in majesty and glory on the throne of heaven, having been given the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, church, this is why we're so devoted to him. This is the mystery of Christmas, the mystery of godliness. That although Jesus came and did his great work of salvation here within this world for which we are so grateful today, we know that he is not in some tomb somewhere, that he didn't rise from the dead and then die again and kind of disappear, but he was taken up to the heavens, and today he sits on a throne of glory, that although he came as a man, eventually he reclaimed his place as the divine. And so today we believe in him and we worship him as the king of kings, and the Lord of Lords, and that is how he will return as we turn our eyes to the heavens, knowing that one day he is going to stand up from his throne and he is going to enter back into this world and he's going to receive to himself all those who have believed in him. It's no wonder we live our lives devoted to Jesus. It's no wonder we live our lives following him. Kim, if you come, please. You see, to some people, it's yet a mystery. It's a mystery as to why people such as us would give our lives to following and worshiping Jesus. Like, why would you do that? Just go to church. Just be a good person. You say, no, 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 that's not enough. I want to live a godly life. What does that mean? It means I don't just show up to church here and there. I don't just try to live a good life but I live my life devoted to Jesus. The mystery of godliness, church. Living our lives devoted to Jesus. I guess I jumped ahead of myself earlier on. But being devoted to Jesus. And people say, I don't understand. Why would you do that? They don't understand it. It's as if it's hidden from them. But if they would look closer, that's what Paul does here. He says, look a little closer. He says, read this little hymn here. This will tell you why. They would look closer. They would come to realize that through God, excuse me, through Christ, God has revealed to us so much. Christmas is a time of mystery. Because it has to do with what God has revealed to us through the giving of his son. The mystery of Christmas, the mystery of godliness, that which was, was once hidden is, but is now revealed is that listen, God really does love us. In fact, he loves us so much that 
he sent his one and only son into this world for us that he appeared in the flesh. He appeared in the flesh. He came as one of us. That's how much God loved us. And the mystery of Christmas is that Jesus willingly left the glories of heaven to come as one of us and to live among us, even to the point of giving his life for us on death, all the way to death on the cross for us, for all the nations, preached among the nations. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And the mystery of Christmas is that this very same Jesus who died on that cross eventually made his way back to the throne of heaven where he sits today. He was taken up in glory. See, that which has been revealed to us is this, that today Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is King. In fact, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and thus he is worthy of our faith. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our complete devotion. He's worthy this morning of us saying, Jesus, I am not going to live my life following the things of this world. I refuse to be devoted to the things and the systems and the people of this world. But Jesus, listen, I, I, I see it. I believe it, that you came in the flesh. You, you, you came for the nations. You gave yourself, that you're Savior and your King and your Lord. And so, Jesus, I'm going to do everything I can to live for you, to follow you, to honor you, to worship you. Believing that one day, yes, you are going to be faithful to your, your word and, and you're going to take me from this life into that life that you've been preparing for me all along. The mystery of godliness, why it is we follow him. Jesus, you've done so much for me. God, you've done so much for me through the giving of your son. So I give my life to following you. Oh, God, that you would help us. Come on, church, just begin to pray right now. Just begin to pray your own prayer. Oh, won't you give your life to him if you've never given your life to Jesus, to following Jesus before? Won't you see it this morning? Won't you believe it this morning? He appeared in the flesh. He came for you. He came to show you that God loves you. He came to save you, to be your Savior, to see that all your sin would be washed away, that your life would be made new. Won't you let him be your Savior? And church, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, won't we live our lives devoted to him, following after him, just fully surrendered and committed to him? Hallelujah. Jesus, we look to you this morning. God, we look to you this morning. We thank you. We thank you today for who you are and all you've done. We thank you, Jesus, that you came in the flesh and yet you lived as holy, that you might become for us the spotless Lamb of God. We thank you for the way you lived among us, teaching us and serving us all the way to death on a cross. And you came not just for, for the angels. You didn't come for just a small group of people, for some exclusive group, but you came for all people that all would know the mercy and grace of God. 
Jesus, we recognize that today you are on the throne of glory. And so we worship you. We honor you today. We thank you today, Jesus.